Hello, and welcome to Makers.dev episode, what I think is number 30, and a momentous occasion, our very first guest on the show talking about ADHD, Jesse Anderson. Jesse, hello. How's it going? Hello. Hey, it is uh, great to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited and honored to be the first guest on the show. Cool. Uh, I guess I guess technically, it's the <laughs> we've had like other people on the show, but this is the first one where we're trying to like interview a person talking about a particular topic uh, it's, oh. it's gonna be fun uh chris how are you doing how, uh, what's your take on this situation i'm doing pretty well yeah we had matt swanson on but that's when you were gone so he was more like taking taking your place so this is the first yes. like dual uh guest interview yes. i don't know what it's gonna be it, jesse's not replacing either of us he's uh adding right. to, to each of us uh i'd love to get the conversation started just sort of like talking about your story of how you got into this because when you first reach out uh I think Chris and I had a, a similar response of like, oh, this is someone who like specializes in ADHD and they're going to be trying to sell their product or their book or something. But you're just a dude who's like, you realize this is a thing that you had and you're trying to fix it. And I love that. That's a that's a thing I try to apply to my own <laughs> life. Uh, could you talk me through how you ended up uh, investing a bunch of time and energy into ADHD and just kind of your, your story of how that's progressed? Yeah. So yeah, like you said, I'm not selling anything. I'm not, I'm not an ADHD coach. I'm not really doing anything like that. I just, um, similar to, to you guys, I'm a designer and I do a lot of front end development and things like that. Um, and I, I've always known my brain worked a little bit differently. Um, and I, I often just sort of chalked it up to like, that was family, like family quirks. Like that's how my dad is. And that's how my brother is. Um, and then a few years ago, a friend, my best friend from uh, elementary school, he found out that he, he had ADHD and then his wife and my wife talked and then my wife is like, hey, you should uh, maybe look into these symptoms because they sound real familiar. And once I looked into it and then found out that I had it, I realized how, how much that affected just like my life view, like how I did everything was going through this filter of ADHD that I was previously unaware of. And so once w once I found that out and kind of figured that out, it it became sort of a passion of mine to learn more about it and really sort of dive in. Uh, yeah, and then the more I've learned about it and the more it's like changed the way I do things and the way I kind of function my day-to-day -day life, um, I really wanted to help other people find that out as well because it was just life-changing for me to realize all these things, like for example, getting things done. I've been always been a big fan of like the GTD you know, philosophy and productivity tips and stuff like that. And so many of those just don't really work for an ADHD brain. And so once I found that out, I realized all this energy I was wasting. And yeah, so I've kind of been, I heard you guys talking about how you were sort of considering like, hey, maybe we, maybe both of us have this, I don't know, sort of looking into it. And I just, uh, yeah, I wanted to reach out and share my experience and see if it could, if it resonated or if it was helpful or anything like that. Love it. You mentioned uh, talking with your, I think you said brother-in-law about the symptoms you were experiencing and that, that then matched up uh, with the symptoms that you had and you realized, oh my gosh, I had ADHD. Um, could you talk about what those symptoms are? Because I was surprised in talking with you that it's not the stereotypical thing you think of like, ah, oh, it's a boy on a playground who like, or, you know, in class, he's just jumping on his desk and throwing glue all over and like, ah, oh, he's <laughs> screaming and uh, it, it manifests in different ways for different people and like uh, in, in counterintuitive ways. What, what was your experience of the symptoms uh, that you had that closed that loop? 
Right, right. Yeah. So like probably a lot of, uh, you know, especially Americans like grow, that grew up in the 80s and 90s, like that was what ADHD was. It was like, oh, that kid, you have throwing glue everywhere. Just like the, the one the teacher couldn't handle, like, oh, they probably have ADHD. And there's so much more to ADHD. So I didn't, I never related with that. So when I first heard when my wife said like, hey, your, your friend has this and these symptoms kind of sounds familiar. Uh, I was like, I, there's no way I can have ADHD. Like, I don't have this hyperactive thing. I'm, I, I, would, I never was like jumping off the walls or whatever. Um, but then I started looking, looking into it. Um, and one of the things that really jumped out at me is a thing called hyperfocus, which some people talk about like getting in flow and it's sort of similar to that, but way more extreme. Um, so like one of the things I said early on when I was denying that I had this was I can't I can't have ADHD because I have no problem focusing on like the things that interest me. Like if I get way into I don't know like a, a certain board game or video game or other things that are really fascinating, I can just spend hours and hours and hours and hours and hours on it and like forget to go to the bathroom, forget to eat or drink. And then suddenly it's like I come out of this daze at the end of it. I'm like, oh man, I've I'm I forgot everything. And I told myself that was a reason I couldn't have ADHD is because I did that. And that's actually a symptom. It's a, like a, one of the <laughs> primary symptoms that people with ADHD have is that hyper-focus. And yeah, and some of the more obvious things that the more I read into it that really kind of resonated with me was being late to everything. And I should preface by saying that all the symptoms of ADHD are different for different people. So if, if I list my symptoms and they're like, oh, like, a third of those don't apply to me. That's kind of the deal. Uh, it's a wide kind of spectrum of different sorts of symptoms. But the ones that resonated for me that uh, were common symptoms of ADHD was being late to things a lot, procrastinating a lot. Um, yeah, like that was a, just just not really understanding time. So often I would say like, oh, I'll take care of that later. And I would think that I was going to take care of it later. And then later came and went and I had like no memory of that thing I was going to do. And so that was that was a really, really big one. And just for like in school, it was impossible to focus on things that I didn't find interesting. So I just didn't do homework at all through like all of junior high and high school. I never did any homework and I made it by because I tested really well. So I would like ace every test, but I couldn't bring myself to do like more than two problems. I, I'd spend two hours looking at a you know, math homework and get two problems done and just like, I just couldn't do it. Uh, yeah. And then there's, there's like obscure symptoms of ADHD. So like a big one, I think I mentioned this to one of you before, but like a big one is t-shirt tags, which, uh, there's a lot of, a lot of like sensory things that are weird with ADHD. And so for me, I have to rip the tags out of all my t-shirts cause that sensory feeling just like drives me, drives me wild. And I gotta, I gotta get it out. And a lot of, a lot of people have that same issue with like socks or like seams in clothing. So that's that's yet another one of uh, the big symptoms of ADHD. Yeah. I relate to that tags. <laughs> if you get a seam ripper, you can you can uh, get rid of the stitching that gets it out and then you get it out completely. It's it's wonderful. Uh, Chris, what's <laughs> how, how much of that resonated with you? Because I feel like Jesse's inside my brain right now. Yeah, yeah, uh, me too. Um, I, was, I was actually gonna ask. So I resonate really strongly with a lot of those things, procrastination, hyper-focus. Um, but where's the line? I think a lot of people, you know, like, sure, they procrastinate, right? Or they can get sucked into a video game. But is the line that it starts becoming, like, negatively affecting your life? Or is the line just that, you know, like, like how do people assess that? Um, is it, like, professionals only that can assess that? Where's that line? 
Right, yeah. So diagnosis is kind of tricky because of that. Like all the symptoms of ADHD are something that everyone can kind of relate to a little bit. It's like, oh yeah, like you said, like I'm, I'm late sometimes, I procrastinate. Um, a big factor is how much it like affects your life and how extreme it is. So like the, there's complications with it, but like in the DSM-5, which is the diagnostic, it's like the, the American manual for like mental disorders. I forget exactly what it stands for, um, but it has a list of, of several types of different symptoms. And then you kind of go through and say, you know, which, how many of these from each category apply to me. And that that's sort of how it's technically assessed. But it also kind of differs depending on who you see. So there's like all sorts of different models trying to figure it out. But the main sort of, like my therapist told me when we were talking about it is basically kind of what you suggested. Like it's how much it affects your day-to-day -day life. Like this one thing continues to come up over and over and over again. And knowing that it's not just... Uh, it's not just willpower. That's a, that's another real big thing with ADHD is you feel you feel like it's willpower that's holding you back, and it's not. It's there's this mental block. There's actually a mental disorder that's causing these things to happen, and wanting to do something more isn't actually going to change anything. It's not going to make you be more able to do something just because you really want to do it. Um, yeah, that actually kind of reminds me, and I, I know I talked to you guys about this before. There's there's a thing called that's the ADHD nervous system and it talks about how neurotypical people which is you know people without any sort of brain disorder they're they're motivated by importance primarily and that can be like importance for the themselves uh, or it can be like a spouse or a boss or a teacher some like somewhere in their life something is important to them that'll motivate them to do it but if you have ADHD that really doesn't motivate us at all um, which is why, like, I've had, like, job interviews where it's really important. I know I got to be there on time. And that just knowing it's really important doesn't matter. Like, that doesn't affect my motivation to do the right thing. Um, and then the other two ways that motivate most people is uh, rewards and consequences. And I love rewards. And rewards help me build up habits. But actually knowing that there's, like, a reward at the end of the path, like, doesn't help me do the task. It doesn't give me that motivation factor. Um and yeah, so people with ADHD have this whole different nervous system for motivation. Um, and it's called like, uh, his name, Dr. Uh, William Dobson, he calls it the uh, interest-based nervous system. And so the five factors, one is interest. So if you can find interest in a thing, and that's kind of where hyper-focus comes into play, that'll motivate you to do it. So that's where you can get on like the Wikipedia path of like, oh, this is interesting. I'm going to follow this link, follow that link. And I'm gonna, or, or you have a new hobby and you're like, I'm gonna watch every YouTube video that exists about uh, synth <laughs> keyboards or whatever the thing might be. Um, so that's that's a big one. The, the second factor is uh, challenge or competition. So a lot of people with ADHD can get really into like uh, high risk sports, like extreme sports, like skydiving and things like that. Um, and that's actually one I don't, the extreme sports isn't one that res resonates with me, but a lot of people I know with ADHD have that where they're really, they really enjoy that high risk sort of thing. But yeah, any sort of competition is really motivating. So that's another reason why we can get really into video games and things like that. Cause there's a lot of challenge and competition there.
or AI competitions. That's right. <laughs> Picking That's a right. random example. Of <laughs> yeah, one of one of the reasons we started talking about this is because, uh, yeah, so I've been doing carol competitions lately, and yeah, I see the leaderboard. I want to go up the leaderboard. <laughs> That's like, yes. my pr- mm-hmm. you know, one of my primary motivations for, for doing more and more. So, yeah, definitely. Right. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's two. And then the uh, other three, there's the third one is novelty and creativity. And that's why a lot of people with ADHD end up chasing with even without knowing it end up like chasing creative endeavors, uh, or being artists in some sort of way. Like that's why I chased design because there's lots of opportunities to be creative in that field. Um, And the fourth one is a sense of urgency. And this is one that people, I think it's easy to get that confused with importance. Like, what's the difference between importance and urgency? And I like to say it, it's like if you have a really big, important project due in three weeks, it's important right now, but it's not urgent right now. But if you have that big project due in three hours, suddenly now it's really urgent. And that's when, like, the motivation for someone with ADHD, that's when the motivation shows up. Like, oh, now it's urgent. Now suddenly I can get myself to do all this work to get this project done. Um, yeah. And then the, the fifth one, and Dr. William Dodson says that this doesn't happen for most people, but it's just passion. And the way he defines it is like a lifelong passion. So like, for example, someone that's really has like a humanitarian kind of connection with a certain thing, that might be something they're passionate about for their entire life and that they find motivation from that. But it's not like, hey, I'm really excited about this new hobby. Uh, It's very specifically defined as lifelong as a passion. Uh, yeah the way you're describing this like what incredible strengths it's uh, my brain is tuned to be hyper focused and to do really well in competitions and to be incredibly creative and the price that i have to pay for that is i'm late to things sometimes and i need to be able to use an external system to make important non-urgent things more urgent yes great i'll make that trade (laughs) i like my brain very much that that sounds uh fantastic i think i think my question is like I'm not seeing a reason to get a diagnosis. Like, just knowing this about myself, if I read the ADHD nervous system and uh, filled out more of these five traits and just got to know my brain better, like, what, what would I get by having a diagnosis that I wouldn't get by just understanding, like, oh, you know, my strength is it's going to be very easy for me to focus, especially in the context of a competition or something. And I need to make sure that I'm using a calendar and like, you know, setting alarms on my phone because I, I can't right. keep track of time. Uh, what what would a diagnosis get me uh, more than just that better understanding of myself? Right. Yeah. So there's there's definitely a lot. There's definitely a lot of benefits with ADHD. There's a lot of, like some people say call it a superpower and things like that. But I do want to note it's it's important to consider um, privilege in that context because there's a lot of people that have ADHD and don't have the support system to be able to manage it well. Because if you can manage it well, there's a lot of really great benefits for sure. Like, I love being able to hyper-focus on something that I, like sometimes I wanna work on something for eight hours in a row and it's great that I can do that. Um, and there's other kind of benefits that can come with ADHD too, but it, but some people don't have the benefit of being able to do that because they're like they're just trying to get their, you know, working two two jobs, trying to get things done, and being late to everything isn't you know it doesn't feel like a superpower very much to them. So I do want to note that it's it's it can be a superpower if you're in the kind of context where you can manage that other stuff. Um, but outside mm. of that, if you're not kind of dealing with those issues and you're like you're seeing the benefits of the superpower and you're like why bother getting it diagnosed. 
the like the main reasons you can get get it diagnosed and one is just like acknowledging that you really do have it for reals for realsy reals and not that it's just like so it it, it helps you accept that it's real by getting an official diagnosis like i kind of knew that i had it before it was officially diagnosed but once i had the diagnosis then it was like real and then i got to go through like you know there's a period of kind of mourning like going through the your past life and like oh if i'd only known would i have gone to this college would i have gotten this scholarship if i had known that i had this thing that was stopping me from filling out paperwork or like things like that um and then there's just sort of that acceptance of not beating myself up when i struggle um mm -hmm. th there's a really popular book called you mean i'm not lazy stupid or crazy which is about adhd because so many people with ADHD, you have this thing like holding you back and you you blame yourself and you say, oh, I'm just I, I must just be lazy or stupid or crazy or whatever. Um, yeah. So I think that's almost like the most important. The, the thing right under that would be medication. And I'm currently not taking any medication. I tried several of them and didn't find one that worked for me, unfortunately. But I know the people that have found it said it's been life changing for them. And it's mm. not that they, it, it, it's not like they can't live without it. And it's not that it like changes their brain, like they take it and then suddenly they're like, woo, I'm gonna, I, I'm suddenly so motivated to do all these things. Um, the way they usually describe it is it kind of clears the noise in their brain and it, it makes it, so if they're sitting on the couch and they want to go do the dishes, they can. Like it doesn't make them get up and do the dishes, but if they want to do it, they can. Whereas sometimes I'll be sitting on the couch and I'll be thinking, I need to get up and do the dishes. Jesse, get off the couch and go do the dishes. And I just can't <laughs> motivate myself to do it. Um, so that's sort of the second main thing I think would be, yeah, the medication, being able to get medication because you need a diagnosis for that. And then a third one, I think you guys talked about this in a previous episode, but the third one is like accommodation, which again, not everyone needs accommodation. And if you're working by for yourself, like you're not going to be able to give yourself any accommodation. But for people <laughs> like that are in uh, school or, you know, with more of a corporate job, like it's possible to get accommodations to have like, uh, you know, it's like a in the U.S. It's like a federally protected thing. So there you can get for like schooling. My daughter has ADHD and sometimes we've been able to make sure that she has extra time for a test and things like that and that's mm -hmm. because she has an official diagnosis otherwise they, they're not they wouldn't be you know required to do something like that yeah i think a lot of the the places i've seen it helpful is especially in kids because uh, a school especially like then the teacher yeah. understands what's going on and then everyone kind of understands and so yeah yeah and there's on that with kids there's it's really new research but there's new research that uh, shows that medication, I, I don't remember the age, something like if kids take medication prior to the age of 11 or 12, that it can actually make positive permanent change uh, in their brain. It's really early research on that because for me, I know like I have ADHD for the rest of my life. There's no making it go away or anything like that. And, I, and the research, I don't think shows that it makes ADHD go away, but it can improve it's showing that some permanent change can happen at that age level. 
I uh, I take issue with you implying that I wouldn't provide accommodation for myself if I got an official diagnosis. I would be the most likely person to accommodate. All right, Christian, you've, you've got H- H- uh, ADHD for realsies. Like, this is your medicated time. You get an hour on YouTube for uh, guilt-free. <laughs> this, is, this is what you need to, to pursue uh, your passion. Um, I'm curious about something you said of that... Yeah, we, I think all three of us are, are speaking about this issue from a very privileged position of like being able to have that self-actualization of uh, optimizing the work that we're doing tuned to the way that our brains are best able to work, either like sporadically or in my case, just jumping between projects like it's, I don't know, something, I'm trying to think of a, a good analogy of something that jumps between stuff, like a <laughs> frog on a pogo stick. Uh, we'll workshop that one. <laughs> Uh, and in your case, being able to, to pursue much more creative work, uh, what a what a difficult problem it is for someone who is has this incredible brain that has these these active strengths in focus and in creativity and in uh, deep work. Uh, if they're stuck at like a you know a, a candy making factory like the one from I Love Lucy, and they've just got to put the candy in the boxes and all day, that would be torture. And then to be told like you're broken because a normal person should be perfectly fine and able to handle this incredibly boring soul draining work. Uh, so take this medication to, to make yourself more normal. Uh, what are your, what are your thoughts on that? Of like, what should that person do? How do you, how do you get out of that situation? I, that's, <laughs> this question doesn't have an answer. I don't think, but like, man, that, <laughs> I think I just want to say that would suck. Uh, and I'm yeah, thankful I, I that I awesome. don't have to do that. I, th- I think that's also why um, not not all, but a lot of people with ADHD end up becoming, well, entrepreneurs, or they just have a lot of jobs. So for me, I've been, where I work now, I have a great job and I'm able to be, because I'm in like des- design development world, I'm able to have lots of new problems to solve. So it never feels old, you know, it never gets old and boring. I always have new fun stuff to work on. Um, so I've been here about six and a half years now. But prior to that, I've probably had close to 30 jobs uh prior to getting to, to like landing a couple that were really good ones and be, it's because that it was yeah the i love lucy i get there and i'm like this feel i'm doing the same thing still i can't do this i'm just I'm, <laughs> and i would just walk out of a job after like three weeks like i'm out i can't i can't handle this anymore <laughs> <laughs> and yeah i think that's pretty common uh the benefit again can be that if if you can get a structure around you to support like there's so much potential with being like entrepreneur and following kind of things like that but it's definitely difficult which is why medication is like really key i think for somebody in that sort of situation if you Hmm. and again it's a privilege thing because you need to be able to have the insurance for it um but that would be like i think one of the number one things to try to find a medication that can help you through that so that the monotony doesn't just like you know doesn't just kill you drive you wild Hmm. Yeah. It's, it's tough. like you said it's an unanswerable question it's definitely tough oh it's a huge hairy thing with like, we have to change society to be, to be able to fix it uh chris yeah. i'm curious on your take on the idea that medication for young children could change their brain so like you, you have kids uh so i think i think you have a much clearer perspective on this but if you found out that one of your kids had adhd and had the official diagnosis and you were told you can give them this pill and it will permanently change their brain to be more neurotypical uh, and less similar to our brains. Uh, what would you do? 
I don't know that that's a straightforward thing. Yeah, kid, kids in medicine is is like a really big deal. Um, there's there are a lot of considerations, you know, when giving kids medicine, right? And um, the way we've approached it so far, we, we've had nothing quite like that. But you know, it's like you just look at the available evidence and you look at what's safe and what's effective and you know you just make a decision that way um you know like generally things have been pretty well studied um in in terms of like you know the the things that we've given them now this mm-hmm. is you know jesse you were saying this is brand new research and so it's like you know yeah, and I, again like i'm not a medical professional <laughs> right i just know i've heard about this and it's very like from what i understand very like cutting edge kind of yeah research yeah so what i would probably do in that case is just I would look at how it's affecting affecting us now you know like i would place more emphasis on is you know is are there behaviors right now that need to be fixed with medicine and Mm. is this medicine going to do that um and then maybe once you know obviously you don't want to do anything that's going to harm a a child permanently um but you know if the medicine's really going to help now and may have effects later you know maybe those will be positive maybe they'll be negative but on the whole it's going to help a lot now you know, that, then that's when we'd probably make the positive medicine decision. But yeah, I think it's super personal. It's super, you know, you have to look at the research, you have to look at your kid's behavior and you know, what's, what's happening. Um, yeah. Kids are tricky. Kids are tricky. I think I'm more interested in that. That's a very balanced perspective in the real world of like, you know, you, you have to balance risk and make sure that you're, you're doing things safely in a, in a theoretical situation where like you got to flip a switch, but you only got to touch Mm. the switch one time and you got to choose do I want my child to be neurotypical or do I want them to have these ADHD attributes of being highly creative and uh, jumping between things and not able to keep track of time very well Uh, from, from this conversation, like I think the thing I'm leaning towards is I want kids with ADHD. (laughs) The, the world that they're going to be going into is that that is a world where you're rewarded for having 30 different jobs and for being able to learn a new skill on YouTube by watching every single video on how paintball guns work and learning everything about that. Uh, I, I think, I think where I'm starting to land is that that would be preferable. Like I would, I would almost want a drug that would push them more in that direction. I'm, I'm not sure what that would be. I think the reason I'm being a little cagey is like, um, it's very dependent on, so, so like Jesse said, it's kind of a spectrum. And so if you and I, if we have it, we don't know, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're very far. I think we're very quite far on the scale where it's, it's, pretty beneficial to us in some cases it's bad um you know but but that's where it is some people like basically can't operate right like mm. you, you can't get anywhere you can't do any any type of paperwork like you can't function as, a, as mm. an adult and so you know in that case if there is a switch obviously you know they would flip it right if you mm. can not function so I, th- I think that's there's a big spectrum and so it depends on where you fall there i think jesse maybe yeah, it's, other ideas. yeah and it's it's really difficult to to kind of make that decision because you know, I didn't find out I had it until I was 36. And yeah. so for me, it's like, that's who I am. Um, the way my brain works is like my sense of self. It, like if there was a pill I could take tomorrow that would take away ADHD, I, I, even if it was only going to take away the, the negative stuff, I still don't know if I would take it because it's so much of who I understand myself to be that it would be like, like it would be, you know, existential crisis to take away that part of my brain. Um, and so it, yeah kind of like chris said it's really it's really hard evaluating that sort of stuff with kids because like we found out uh, my daughter found out that she had adhd around the same time we found out i had it and we waited a, a couple of years before we ever tried medication uh because mm-hmm. yeah you're just like reading everything you possibly can on it and you're like how 
there's just so much like weight of like I'm the parent and whatever I decide here is going to be something that she's going to be referring back to in 20 years and saying, yeah, this is what my parents did. And mm. I want it to be a positive story. And there's no right answer right now. And so you just kind of have to do the best you can and research the most you can for your situation. Uh, yeah. It's, it's real tricky for sure. Yeah. The other thing you kind of told me in our, when we spoke and I think is relevant here is like, you can go to two two kinds of places for help. Well, three, I guess. One is you can like self self medicate or self research, right? The other is you can go to a doctor, and doctors will generally give you medicine. Uh, or the third is you can go to like a therapist, um, and they will generally give you talk therapy first. And so, if you're worried about the medicine, then I would you know I would talk to a therapist first. Um, mm. That's my take. Yeah, for sure. Like on that, I because when I found out that I had ADHD, I saw a therapist right away, and then saw her for another couple of years, and it was about through that by seeing her weekly i was able to learn a lot more about the medication before we ever really made like i think it was almost a year before i tried medication for the first time um yeah and there's like but through that the prior to taking that medication i learned all sorts of like self-therapy things i can do and like behavior change and like timers everywhere i i survived like i couldn't live without timers so i'm always setting timers to uh, keep myself you know the pomodoro timer is a constant in my life and there's all sorts of little like tricks like that that you can learn to make things more functional uh day to day yeah i yeah. love always setting timers I, I relate to that intimately i built a time tracker so that i could uh so that i could do that i'm very curious about what the adhd therapy looks like uh you said that gtd didn't really work for you uh and but but timers did is the interaction with this therapist going through external systems and how to set that up so that you can compensate for your your brain's natural weaknesses what does that look like right so this there's so the therapist i saw was not uh exclusively like an adhd coach uh and an adhd coach would probably go more into developing systems like that and for us a lot of it was just learning about how to understand my brain better and also there was like it sort of ended up becoming a little bit of marriage therapy and as well because when you have adhd for 10 years being married and don't know you have adhd some problems uh develop in a marriage that we worked out and a big part of that was uh, my memory is terrible and i had no idea because your brain is like this amazing thing that fills in all the gaps and lo and behold all the gaps that were filled in always painted myself in a better light so one of the things through therapy was learning about things that I was forgetting because I, I had no idea that I had a bad memory. I just mm -hmm. thought for some reason that like my wife and I would see things completely different and somehow have this different view of what happened. And it was through therapy that I kind of learned and began to be able to pick up clues of my own behavior of being able to detect that, oh, that might be my brain tricking me and filling in the gap. Because before that, mm -hmm. before hearing that or learning that, I just assumed that everything my brain told me was real. Like you just sort of, that's sort of the basic assumption is like, Hey, if I picture the thing happening this way, that's because that's how it happened. Not because my mm -hmm. brain is sort of like guessing for what happened. So a big part of the early therapy was sort of working through stuff like that. Um, and also a, a big thing we did was we put up a big whiteboard in the kitchen uh, because we, an early fight, which sounds like silly, but it was a really big deal uh, for us, was every single 
every single night my wife would ask me to take out the trash and I'd say, yep, no problem. I'll take it. I'll do it before I come up or whatever. And every single night I didn't do the trash. It was for years. Like every single night we'd go through this, she would ask me to do it. I would say I would do it and then I wouldn't do it. And for me, I was like, oh, well, I just, I forgot again. And I forgot again. And it just would forget every night. And for her, it was like, he's just a lazy bum. and doesn't want to do the trash. So when I ask him to take it out, he says he'll do it later, but he's really never going to do it. And then when we went to therapy, it sort of helped us figure out, hey, let's do a whiteboard. And then every single night, my wife can write on the whiteboard and say, take out the trash. And then me, when I get up, you know, get off the couch to go up or whatever, uh, go up to the bedroom, I'll see the whiteboard and then be reminded, oh, that's right. I said I was going to take out the trash tonight. And then I would do it. So we put up this whiteboard and overnight it was like, now I take out the trash every single night. And it sort of became this big uh, focal point for us of realizing that it's that this is real, that the memory thing was real. And it wasn't that I was trying to be a jerk, but it was that I really had this mental blocker that was causing me to forget what I thought I was going to do every single night. And so that was that was definitely a big part of yeah learning learning about how to externalize things so that i could remind myself because i think that i'm going to remember something and i never really do my brain's always like oh yeah we'll remember that and then yeah a lot of it was just becoming aware of like that's not really going to happen <laughs> what a beautiful story I, what a fantastic example of just how better understanding the problem gets you both on the same page like yes you and your wife are seeing the world very differently time is experienced fundamentally differently for you than it is for her. I'm reminded of a premarital counseling exercise I did with the woman I'm dating right now. We we held a painting between the two of us. So the front of it was facing her and the back of it was facing me. And mm. our therapist asked, uh, okay, each of you describe what you see. And uh, my girlfriend, Sarah, explained like, oh, well, you know, it's it's blue and uh, it's got this picture of a hand on it. And, uh, you know, the, the hand is in like an okay sign, but it's upside down. And, you know, it's, it's about this big by this big. Uh, and then the therapist said, okay, Christian, like you explain what you see. And I said, well, you know, that was completely wrong. That's not at all what this looks like. It's it's a wooden frame and it's, it's white and it's like this canvas and it's got, you know, six staples on the sides and four staples on the top uh, and bottom. And uh, like... So at the end of that, the therapist said, okay, which of you is wrong? And like, <laughs> that's kind of the game of conversation, right? It's, uh, if, if, you know, if you're seeing time as there's now and there's not now, and your wife is seeing time as there's this, this important but non-urgent task of the trash needs to be taken out, which of you is wrong? Well, neither. You're, you're both seeing two sides of the same thing. Uh, for you, the, the world right. is tuned more towards like, things that you're passionate about and curious about and you're, you're deep in flow and whatever the work is that's right in front of you. That's the thing that has your attention. Uh, and it sounds like for your wife, it's, I don't even know what that would be like to, to have an expanded <laughs> time horizon of like that, that taking out the trash at some point today is even a thought that's on my brain. Like for me, that also has to be on something like a whiteboard. Uh, right. and the, the strength in that is in understanding what each other's viewpoints are, understanding where your differences are. And then, being able to effectively translate for the other person, which it sounds like a whiteboard. My gosh, what a, what a fantastic low-tech solution to that problem. Now for whatever, the $12 whiteboard, you've perpetually solved this category of problem, and it came from this deeper understanding of how each of your brains work differently to the other person. I, I love that story. That's beautiful. 
yeah yeah thanks yeah it's it, it's wild how yeah this like stupid whiteboard that we hung up like basically saved our marriage like obviously there's a lot more to it than that but it was like <laughs> the catalyst of us being able to understand our completely different perspective on time and memory and things like that it, it became something we could both look at and see that you know it proved to me that hey i'm not a lazy bum i'm just forgetting and it proved to her that yeah that's the same thing like it's not that he's just that he doesn't love me and he doesn't want to do this thing for me or whatever mm -hmm. it is you know it it just he's just forgetting his his brain is causing that like memory to not come back before he leaves the scenario and doesn't take out the trash so yeah it really became kind of a catalyst for us figuring out a bunch of other stuff and yeah I'm going to add that as a sub point on the uh, benefits of getting a diagnosis under accommodation. Uh, you could get accommodation in your marriage as well as in worker school for <laughs> how your brain is exactly. working differently. <laughs> There's actually a really great book that we read too that's called The ADHD Effect on Marriage by Melissa Orlov. And that one's really fantastic. One of the things that really helped me in reading that book, it talks early on about um, like when I was first reading it, I'm kind of mad because it feels like everything's going to be about like, let's fix Jesse. Jesse's brain, Jesse's brain is broken. And so how do we fix the marriage by fixing Jesse? Um, and one of the things that book talks about early on is you actually have two different disorders in the marriage. If you've been married for a while, because you have the person with ADHD and then you have another disorder that's called, you know, living with someone with undiagnosed ADHD for 10 years. <laughs> Um, and that causes like its own symptoms. So she had her own, you know, path that she had fallen into. And so we both have problems that we have to fix. It's not just like fix Jesse's brain because that's not really a thing. It was things that we both, because of our like journey to where we are now, now we both have things to, to work on to get back in sync with each other. So really, really great book for anyone that's hearing any of this and resonating and that's married, highly recommend that book, The ADHD Effect on Marriage. We'll link yep. that in the show notes. I, I'll put out another plug for uh, not just ADHD, but for any behavior that, that you have that you can't quite explain. Um, sort of linked to all this stuff, I'll tell a story from my life. So in my early 20s, I started having panic attacks and I didn't know what they were. Um, I, to myself, it was kind of like, uh, well, everyone gets nervous, right? Everyone kind of whatever. But what I didn't realize is on any car ride over about 15 or 20 minutes, I would have a panic attack. And the result was I didn't want to go anywhere like ever. Um, and I did not pick up that on that like at all. Like to me, that was kind of normal. My wife was the one who was like, I think you're having panic attacks. And I'm like, no, 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 you know. <laughs> um, but and then so talking about the two sided thing to me, like I kind of stopped wanting to go places and to her, she got frustrated with me for not wanting to go places. <laughs> and like we didn't understand what was going on. And then I finally saw a doctor and like, yeah, it was panic attacks. And, you know, now we have a, you know, much deeper understanding. We, we sort of, you know, I work through that kind of fix that. And, you know, anytime I'm feeling that now I can say, I, you know, I think I'm feeling this and we can work through it. And it's no longer a, like the, the problem that it was because we didn't understand it. So yeah, definitely not just for ADHD, but for anything that you think might not quite be like, I should have listened to her and the voice in my head that was like, maybe this isn't quite normal. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like that's on amazing that, to me that you could have been having panic attacks, and that was just totally normal for you. Like, yeah, of course, if that's if that's how you experienced yeah. your entire life, like, yeah, this is just what happens at a car ride that's over twenty minutes. How interesting. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I just wanted to like on that point out another thing that is common with ADHD. It's it's really highly comorbid, which means like some people say it means it comes with friends. 
Uh, so a lot of people that have ADHD also have like OCD or anxiety and autism. There's a whole uh, dyslexia. There's a whole lot of like these other disorders that also kind of often come along with it. So I think it's, I feel like the percentage is something like 80% of people with ADHD also have some other disorder with it and something like like 50% have three or more. And so it's like this, yeah, they all kind of come together. And so it's really, it's really common that especially with women, which are criminally like underdiagnosed with ADHD, a lot of times they'll be diagnosed with anxiety or depression first and mm -hmm. then find out later, oh, that's like that kind of stems from me having ADHD and not knowing about it. So it's like hearing like your story of having panic attacks. Um, I haven't had those, but I, I know others that have that. I do have anxiety and I have, I know other people that have anxiety and have had panic attacks and then found out it is kind of connected with their ADHD because they, yeah, come, comes with friends, whether you want them or not. <laughs> Yeah, that, and that was one reason when you told me that that was one thing that started pushing me towards you know maybe maybe it is because I, yeah i looked it up and yeah anxiety is a very common symptom uh comorbidity yep. right what are other comorbidities let's what what other things can i diagnose myself with to better understand myself uh I, most of the things that you could classify as mental disorders i think <laughs> like you know yeah anxiety depression um like you were saying jesse yeah 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 how interesting when you mentioned the uh, the ADHD effect on marriage, talking about how there's the second syndrome of living with someone with undiagnosed ADHD for 10 years, I'm reminded of, uh, I, uh, about two years ago, uh, to better understand a person close in my life, started learning a bunch about uh, personality disorders, specifically ones in the cluster B group uh, in the DSM-5. And it's the same sort of thing of living with someone or being close to someone who has a cluster B personality disorder sort of slips you into this role of, uh, they call it a caretaker, where uh, th this this person is experiencing everything as if it's this catastrophic catastrophe and, and you know, their their emotional scales get tipped over very easily and then they, they feel flooded with emotion very quickly. Uh, and that changes the way that you act with other people because if, if you're conducting yourself as if everyone around you could explode at any moment, you you start walking on eggshells and that that very much changes like how much you're able to depend on other people and how much you're able to, to get your own needs met uh so i'm i'm fascinated on about like what the experience for your wife was of like what what is that syndrome like on the other side of the coin i guess it would be like you know you, you feel like you have to take up all the responsibility of uh anytime there's a plan or an event that's on you and uh you know right you you feel much more of that stress uh is that how, how do you think your wife would have described that yeah there's uh one of the things they talk about in that in um orlov's book is about how like really not healthy dynamics will happen with a marriage like like a parent child sort of dynamic where the mm. person without adhd will feel like i have to take on all the responsibility i have to plan everything make sure all the, all the finances are going to be taken care of. And then there becomes this really, you know, clearly that's like not a healthy scenario. And there's several other kind of reactions that can sort of happen with that. And sort of uh, along with what you said, the one of the big issues with ADHD that's super common uh, that can spark that in the other, in, in a partner or friend that someone's nearby is a thing called rejection sensitive dysphoria. And what that is, is somebody with ADHD, often they, they 
just like a little criticism and or a, a diss or like some sort of put put down even if it's like sometimes it's even sort of imagined but a person with adhd will often feel it really extremely like as if you've been completely betrayed and just like temper flares and it's almost like an explosive response um some people have actually described it as a physical pain this like slight little insult feels like physical pain to the person with adhd um but the thing you can do a lot of times to deal with that is recognize when it happens because it fades very quickly so it's the sort of thing mm. that's very explosive in the moment like you suddenly feel like somebody just said something I, I don't know just completely complete betrayal and painful and then if you give it a little bit of time you can see like oh no that's that was like nothing i don't know why it felt that way but it's that's a super common feeling for people with adhd to feel that rejection sensitive dysphoria where it's like this extreme reaction um but the the benefit is like a lot of things with adhd where it's kind of a paradox we have the opposite oh, and i forget i forget the name of it I, recognition sensitive euphoria i think uh no recognition responsive euphoria that's what it is and that's, oh, that the like when, yeah it's when people compliment you it's like rocket fuel like it energizes you way more like everyone loves a compliment but someone with adhd that gets a compliment it like fuels you to just be able to get so much it's like this extra motivation that shows up um and i definitely feel that someone tells me i'm doing great and i'm like well i'm gonna do even more great i'm gonna show you how amazing <laughs> i am and live up to that little compliment that you gave me so if you can find like that is definitely the side you want to lean on like trying to take advantage of that the RRE. Interesting. Yeah. Jesse, that, let me take this opportunity to say you are doing a great job <laughs> in this conversation talking about ADHD. My gosh, learning so much. Thank you um, so much. I'm so excited to keep going. Let's do it. <laughs> uh, th that reminds me of, uh, so we talked about kids before and um, this is like, so in with all kids, not just ADHD kids, but you, they tell you to like focus on the good things that they're doing well and compliment them on those and they'll do more of that. And, you know, you still have to punish them for like bad behavior, but don't like if you blow at them for bad behavior, that's that's worse than or you'll get more results by complimenting on good behavior than you will yeah. on focusing on the bad behavior. Um, and I think with ADHD, you know, it, especially with kids, you know, you'll get even it sounds like twice that effect. Yeah, for sure. There's uh, another great book called Super Parenting for ADD. And it, it it's a lot about that, about trying to do everything you can you can to encourage the positive aspects of a kid with ADHD because yeah it's it, it's almost like there's like the difficulties are going to be hard and you can't fix them by focusing on them you you kind of have to cope with them the best you can but your focus for parenting should be on yeah encouraging those strengths um and letting like if they're really into drawing doing you, everything you can to encourage them in that and push them in that and so that they thrive there and it, it's almost like if they're thriving in that one field it'll sort of lift other things up with it uh, but it's so easy to get you know it's the like squeaky wheel it's so easy to be like um oh, the math is so hard right now and i want to just like s let's just stare at math homework for two hours and or like yeah whatever that that is and it, that's often not going to get you the result you need at all like what it's really about is you've got to do enough for school because there's requirements, but you really want to focus your energy more on lifting up the positive aspects. And that's going to ultimately be way more successful in the long run. 
I'm reminded also of a book called Don't Shoot the Dog, talking about how to train animals, including humans, that talks about the best way to encourage any sort of behavior change that you want in yourself or in someone else. The impulse you have is, you know, you tell the dog to sit and it doesn't sit and then you get mad at the dog. You're like, no, <laughs> learn English. What are you doing? And the method for actually teaching a dog how to do that is sort of counterintuitive because you have to provide incremental reward even if the dog isn't doing the thing that you want, if, if the dog is like going in the direction of the thing that you want, if it if it's sort of sat, like, oh, yes, yes, good job. You, you performed an action. You know, you looked at me when I said sit. That's a that's a step forward. Um, it seems like that would be especially effective for someone who had ADHD of being able to master that process of positive reinforcement for behavior change. Because if you can, if you can harness that recognition-sensitive euphoria, my gosh, <laughs> for a single compliment, this person gets flooded with positive emotion? Like, yes, absolutely. That's, that's all I have to do. And then they do more of the thing I want. That sounds great. Uh, so cool. Yeah, I think yeah, this, this, sure. whole, this all points to me of like, just understanding this thing better is where power comes in. It's not, it's not necessarily something that needs to be fixed or solved unless it's in one of these very extreme cases. Uh, or I don't know if you're trapped in this uh, uh, factory of making the, the bonbons and putting them into the boxes uh, and you just have to do something to, to get your way through it. Uh, for me, it sounds like the, the power in this is just better understanding yourself, helping the people around you understand you better and the, the things that work for you and then figuring out the external systems that complement the weaknesses in your brain. Uh, does that sound right? Yeah, yeah. I think that really, that really nails it. Um, I, on, on the getting that positive feedback the like the dog example uh my friend and i my, my buddy who got diagnosed before i did with adhd we we would talk sometimes about being frustrated that when we would do you know it's like stupid household chores like man i did the dishes and my wife didn't say anything and i feel like if she had then i'd be more motivated to do it next time <laughs> and um i talked with my wife about it and she's like yeah but you didn't do it for like two weeks why am i going to give you this compliment for the one time you did it yeah and so my my buddy which totally makes sense um but my buddy and i set up a system where we would give each other attaboys we were yes! just like I we would message each other all the time and be like hey i just did the dishes and be like, you are awesome. Great job, dude. <laughs> <laughs> and it worked. It like helped motivate us to do these things at home to where eventually our wives would say something too. Cause then they would see that we're doing these things once we get into a habit. And then they didn't feel like, well, I don't want to, I don't want to compliment you for the thing you didn't do for three weeks. <laughs> um, so that totally worked for us having that sort of positive accountability for each other of just like, Hey, I did the dishes. Tell me I'm great. <laughs> Wasn't this one of your hot take ideas, Christian? Uh, that you had a, you wanted a service oh, yeah. that you could text and it would give you positive feedback. <laughs> That's right. Like, yeah, you just you just yeah. text it. I think we got the name now. It's attaboy.dev. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I I want to build a like a text bot where you just text it like, I did the dishes, <laughs> and uh, it it'll be some kind of a basic system of the number of exclamation marks included in your text is how excited you want the thing to be about the thing you just said. So if you if you say <laughs> I just did the awesome. dishes double exclamation more than it says yeah good job but it just sends you a happy gif or something uh yeah i, oh, I man, love that I, idea you should people absolutely with ADHD. all right i will <laughs> <laughs> and also you got chris and jesse anytime you need an attaboy you, you just let me know you both have my number and shoot me a text and i'll, <laughs> I'll uh, give you a, a pat on the back awesome 
Uh, I have one more question. Uh, you mentioned several external systems that you are uh, reliant on. It sounds like medication didn't work as much for you, but you tried a whole bunch of different things. But some things that have stuck mm. that work well for you are this whiteboard that is this great translating layer between you and your wife so that uh, urgent, no, non-urgent but important tasks can uh, yeah. be brought up more often and have that urgency. You brought up uh, timers uh, and there was one more that you brought up that I uh, am not remembering now, but uh, I'd love for you to talk about any other external systems that have worked for you, because uh, I would love to blatantly steal those. <laughs> yeah, so similar with the whiteboard, another thing we do on there when my wife will say like, hey, can you get the kids ready while I go take a shower or something? And we now have it where she just writes what that means. Because otherwise, I'm like, well, what is get the kids ready? I don't know. And so often our whiteboard will be like like eight to-do items, which is which is great. Because I f when she tells them to me, I think I'll remember them and I don't. But so now she just like, she doesn't even bother telling me. She just goes and writes them on the whiteboard, which works Beautiful. out great. Yeah. Um, so an another thing I've started doing is time blocking. Um, and I got this from... Uh, is there's a book called, I believe it's Make Time. And I think they reference Cal Newport's uh, deep workbook where they got it from. But the idea is sort of like adaptive time blocking. So you do like time block of your ideal schedule of where you think everything's gonna line up and make sure to make room for, well, they talk about their daily highlight, but make sure you have kind of everything lined up that way. And then next to it during the day, you have like your actual time blocking. And so you're filling mm. it out and then adjusting it for what is actually happening. And then I've, I, so I've, I created like a basic template that I printed out for doing that. And once I've started doing that, it's really helped me to see, I mean, it's kind of annoying to do cause you do it and you're like, wow, I'm real bad at predicting what my day is gonna look like. But it's, <laughs> but it is starting to help me see patterns of like, oh, this thing that I think takes half an hour, I'm spending an hour and a half on that every day. So that means, either I need to adjust like how I do that thing or I just need to be realistic and know like that's how long it really is going to take me because I'm mm. I'm the king of thinking I can fit like three times as much stuff into a small amount of time as humanly possible um, I do that anytime I have an appointment I'm like hey I gotta leave in 10 minutes I bet I can do 20 minutes of things real quick and somehow <laughs> magically make it up in the drive over <laughs> that get out of my very, head very common for me <laughs> <laughs> so that that's, that's been so sort of funny. the latest latest thing i've been doing external a lot and i started i just got a remarkable two which is like one of those paper tablet mm. devices you know it's kind of like a big kindle that you can write on and i've been using that uh which has been really really fun because it's you know it's fun new technology which motivates me to use it more but then it the thing i love about it is it's always visible so rather mm. than using like OmniFocus or something on my computer, it's really easy to hide it. And then I just totally forget that exists. Having this like to do, and obviously I could just use a piece of paper, which is going to be a whole lot cheaper, cheaper than a remarkable tablet, <laughs> but having something that's always open and right there that I can glance down and see, and I will glance and see, like I'll notice it throughout the day and be like, oh yeah, that thing, here's the things I wrote down that I wanted to do today. That that's been really huge. Um, yeah. And then the, just timers, so many timers, always doing timers. <laughs> Yeah, I'll, I'll say two things um, that I do. One one is related to timers, but it's like a, a habit that my wife and I, or not a habit, just a pattern that we've fallen into is like 
right before we go to bed we'll just be like laying in bed talking and she'll like ask me to do something and kind of like just be like i always think i'll remember it tomorrow and i never remember it tomorrow <laughs> and so i always now i tell siri to set an alarm for a certain time where i know i probably will have time to do it tomorrow you know and i say the thing like you know and uh, that works wonderfully so alarms um and then the other thing um kind of back to the like recognizing that you have it in the first place um when i first started getting panic attacks i did this thing called daily pages and there's lots of reasons to do these like sometimes it just make you more creative or whatever but the idea is in the morning like first thing after you wake up you know get your coffee and write out you know like three pages long form and what that really allowed me to do was like really recognizing what i was feeling and and then kind of like you said jesse like start recognizing different patterns um because you know i did it for several months and i was kind of able to it's, it's a way to externalize what you're thinking and what you're feeling and then you can like look at it sort of dispassionately like as a third party um and try to you know see kind of uh if you recognize any patterns so those are the two big things i'd say yeah that's a, that's a big one that like i've been doing I've been playing with using Rome Research and Obsidian and kind of jumping around with those different note-taking apps. And one thing that's really worked for me in doing those is interstitial journaling, where I'll kind of journal. It's sort of like time blocking a little bit mixed with just like journaling throughout the day where I kind of mark down a time and then write whatever I'm working on or you know people I'm, I'm chatting with and just sort of keeping a record because my memory is so porous and I just don't, in the moment, it never feels like it is. So like I oh I, even though I know this and I'm telling you about it, like in an hour from now someone's gonna tell me something and I'll be like oh yeah I'll remember to do that later and I just won't. <laughs> so I've tried to be really try to get more proactive with interstitial journaling of like anytime there's something kind of significant or my I transition to something else throughout my day like oh now I'm doing this like trying to mark it down just to have yeah to recognize those patterns like you say it's uh, really important. I have. One last follow-up question, uh, and then I'll let you go to uh, <laughs> disappoint yourself with your poor memory. And, uh, keep. <laughs> to, to, uh, I I don't understand timers. I like I use time tracking, and that's that's getting me this uh, thing that it, it sounds like your uh, paper and remarkable template is doing from make time of like seeing what your uh, your actual day was comparing that to your ideal day and realizing oh my gosh like <laughs> i was trying to cram in four hours of work into this 20 minute block that doesn't make any sense uh right but for me that that process looks like you know i i set my schedule at the beginning of the day uh hour by hour and then uh as i'm going through the day i have these buttons all over that i pushed of like okay what am i doing now i'm on the podcast i, I got a button on my desk that says i'm starting the podcast uh this is a question for both of you i guess i don't understand how the timers would work or, or the alarms on your phone what are you setting a time for when you want to be taking out the trash how what what are yeah. some example timers that you would set i can answer quickly first because i think jesse's answer is longer and more interesting um mine <laughs> are just alarms to remind me to do the thing so it's like okay. if my wife tells me to you know pay the bill or whatever i'll set an yeah. alarm for you know 1 p.m because that's right after lunch i won't be into work yet and i will pay the bill right when the alarm goes off so that's how i use alarms yeah, I use there's there's an app called Do like D U E, which is a really great alarm app because it'll it'll beep and tell you, and then it'll keep bugging you until you like go into the app and mark it as done, which is great because some things, it's the same thing where I'm like, oh, there's the alarm, yeah, I'll go do that thing, and then I won't, <laughs> and so it continues to remind you until you go into it and set it done. So I've just sort of 
made a rule for myself like I, I'll snooze it, but I'll never mark it done unless the thing is really done. And that has worked really well for that. Um, the other thing with timers, the, the, the way I'm using timers throughout the day is Pomodoro sort of stuff. So I'm, I'll, I'll put on like some, like I have certain music I listen to that's sort of like, like OMG, I really need to focus right now, put on the Tron soundtrack. Cause that'll put me like in that mode of like, I need to work. And then I'll set a timer <laughs> of 20 minutes and tell myself like, I wanna be done with this feature in 20 minutes. And I'm not always done, but it like manufactures that urgency because my job doesn't have that. Like my job is like, I don't know, finish it by the end of the week if you can, that'd be great. But we, where I work, we don't have really strict uh, deadlines for things. And so I kind of am creating my own little deadlines throughout the day. And so that's what I, I, I have a, you know, a Google home hub thing. I think, I think that's what it's called sitting right under my monitor and like all day long, I'm just telling it like set a timer for 15 minutes, set a timer for 25 minutes. And it's just like, like I'm not mm. strictly doing the Pomodoro, but I'm just like creating a, a mini, you know, like a miniature goal for myself to finish this thing. You, cause I, if I tell myself I can do it in 20 minutes, then I'm going to set a timer for 20 minutes and see if I actually can. And that like manufacturing that that uh, urgency really does seem to help me get more focused when I'm able to do that. Manufactured urgency. Brilliant. Of course, because <laughs> you're seeing things you, you only see things when they're urgent. And so if you if there's something that is important by just setting an alarm for it, you're making the important thing urgent. And then also, if you're setting a timer for it of like, ah, I bet I can get this thing done in 20 minutes. Well, that ties into something else you said of uh, one of the five, five, I think. Yeah, five factors of yep. uh, the ADHD nervous system of like, no, it's like a challenge and a competition. <laughs> now it's like, ah, oh, can, mm -hmm. can I get it done in this time or can I get it done even faster? Man, right. I love that. Okay, that makes perfect sense yeah, to I, me. I feel, I... Like my, uh, I feel like my biggest thing for finding motivation is relying on that that nervous system and manufacturing those five factors. So for with my with my kids specifically my daughter that has ADHD I'll often be helping her to find something interesting like basically it's like gamification so if she's doing some homework and having a hard time I'll tell her something like do you know do every other question and then you get to draw a bunny after you, every two questions you do you get to draw a bunny or something like just <laughs> trying to make up random silly new things like that and then suddenly the motivation shows up because otherwise it'd be like half an hour on one problem and it won't ever get done. But now it's like mm -hmm. she might spend the half the time drawing the bunny or whatever, but she's getting stuff done with it. And without it, it's like she wouldn't get anything done. So I feel like I'm it's often about like kind of manufacturing those five factors if they don't already exist. And so, yeah, like bring in the urgency, the competition, the interest like or the novelty. Just try to trick your brain into like, hey, those things exist here, so now we can do this task. Uh, yeah, and that's like super, I, I feel like that's the big life hack with ADHD is figuring out how to push those into all of your daily tasks that don't have them natively. Wonderful. Thank you so much uh, to, to give you a little recognition sensitive euphoria. Uh, this is great. You've, <laughs> you've meaningfully improved my life on this podcast. Uh, I feel like I have a much better insight into the things and techniques and uh, ways that I can be hacking my brain to be able to get more stuff done and harness the strengths and then use external systems to uh, compensate for the weaknesses. Uh, <laughs> you, you've made me a better person today. Thank you. <laughs> that was awesome. Thank you. I, I really appreciate hearing that. It's, uh, 
it's it's awesome to be able i know like i said before like so much of this affected my life that it's always great to feel like i'm helping others with what's helped me because i know how much of a big change that 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 it can make to your daily life so that's awesome thanks again for having me on the podcast uh, it's been great it's great to meet both of you and get to know both of you and be able to talk about this yeah it was, it yeah. was fun I'll echo what Christian said. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for being open about it. A lot of people are, you know, uh, closed about it because uh, it's kind of a taboo subject a lot of times. So, yeah, thanks for coming. Thanks for being open. Yeah, yeah Chris, thanks. that's all I got. That's all I got, too. Uh, Jesse, do you, do you have anything else? I don't know what to say about the third person. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's all I got. <laughs> then I'll see you all when I see you. I don't know. <laughs> oh, I should have practiced this before. <laughs> Uh, Chris, I'll see you for the next episode. Jesse, I'll see you uh, the next time. I'd like to uh, team up against fighting my own brain. Uh, goodbye, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>